Catherine Choi thought she had her life all planned out. She was going to be a kindergarten teacher. She went to school for it, the whole nine yards. But first she flew to Korea to teach English. And that's where she met Han Suk Choi. He'd grown up in an entrepreneurial family and wanted to open a restaurant. Life put these two together. They had totally different trajectories. And the Toronto crafting community is all the richer for this mashup. Who is Catherine Choi? And what is Hanji Gifts? What's this place? 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 Let's go inside and find out. Hello. Hello. So nice to meet you, Catherine. So tell me, what is this place? <laughs> My store is called Hanji Gifts. It is a paper, stationery, and gift shop. We import mostly from South Korea, which is where my husband is from. I was a teacher at the time. I met my husband. We came back here, and we just decided to open our store instead. What does Hanji mean? So Hanji means Korean paper. Han means Korean, and Ji is paper. One of the main products we sell is Korean paper that's called Hanji, and it's mulberry paper. It, it looks delicate, but it's strong, and it's been used for thousands of years. I don't know if that number is correct, but it's been used for a very long time. So is it made out of mulberry? Is it having anything to do with mulberry? Yes, yeah, it's the inner bark of the mulberry bush or tree that grows on the mountainsides in Korea. They strip it down and they use the inner bark and boil it down into a pulp. But it's long fibers, layered. So although you have like a very thin sheet of paper, it's quite strong. And really long time ago, it was used as windows and even as armor because you can layer it. Armor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I looked up mulberry paper, and ancient armies did use paper as armor. I didn't know this. Mythbusters even dedicated an episode to it. They compete in suits of both steel and paper, and paper wins in most categories. The only snag was they didn't figure out how these armies prevented the paper from becoming wet and disintegrating, which is probably kind of a big issue if you're in a death battle and it starts to rain. Is that the paper that you can see? Yeah, there are large sheets hanging on ladders at the back of the store on the wall and it's got that you can see the grain inside yes. the paper yeah. Yeah, that's, that's the mulberry yeah oh nice were you always interested in paper? Like, what was your inspiration? Well, my plan was to be a teacher. And my partner was thinking of opening a restaurant. But there's a lot of restaurants in Toronto, and it's very competitive. And then I just thought of, there's this neighborhood in Seoul in Korea that sells Hanji paper and a lot of traditional things, modern, refined Korean design and stationery. And just hanging out in Koreatown in Toronto, I really felt like it was important to have a store that celebrated Korean tradition, but also modern, refined design. And my husband also noticed when we were engaged, he was here living with me. And he noticed we had a lot of baby wedding showers and a lot of events that I had to run out and get a card. So he noticed that I kept buying cards and he knew that Korea sold beautiful cards. So it was both of us came up with this concept of a different kind of business to open. Tell me about the opening process. Sure. We didn't really have a business plan. <laughs> we just kind of bought stuff and sold it and hope for the best, right? You actually have three stores. Yes, I do. So did you start right off the bat with three stores? No, we started with our Koreatown store. We really lucked out with that location. It has a huge window. Our rent was reasonable. Our landlords took a risk on us, given the fact that we didn't have a solid business plan or, <laughs> you know, now if you want a landlord to take you on, you need to have some kind of solid plan in online store. So we were really lucky to have great landlords who just took us on. So we started in Koreatown. 
Chinatown. And then three years later, we opened on Queen Street near Ossington. Okay. And then a few years after that, we opened at Bloor and Dundas. How do you and your partner work together? You're married. Yes. <laughs> so are you guys together like 24-7? Uh, we are and we're not. We have separate responsibilities. I'm the face of the business, talk to the customers, manage our team. And he does a lot of the work late at night, connecting with suppliers in Korea because there's a time difference. He manages connecting with shippers, containers. So he does a lot of that stuff. He does like the night work and I do the day work events. Right. Yeah, it's a good balance. We've had our store now for 10 years. So it hasn't always been that way, but we've learned what works for us. Now we also have a daughter too. So girls are parenting and juggling all of that. It's great. What are the, some of the things about opening that someone might not know of opening a store? My husband had owned different kinds of businesses in Korea. He definitely had that business side. I thought I'd be a kindergarten teacher forever. So I picked up a small business for Dummies book and I read it on the beach and just kind of like highlighted it and got an idea. And then I just used that book step by step, like, okay, you need to figure out your name. There's certain tips about what kind of names might work and what names might not. We already knew we wanted to be in Koreatown. So we were looking in Koreatown for quite some time. We also had a long time to plan because my husband was waiting for his permanent residence. So we had a lot of time. What kind of time frame are you talking here? Like a few years. Oh, wow. His permanent residence didn't take that long. But when we knew we wanted to get married, we were already daydreaming about this idea of running a business, right? And the seed was planted and it slowly grew. There was no rush to get into anything because we had to wait for certain things to be in place. And um, my husband actually learned to build furniture while we were getting our business ready. He taught himself carpentry in a very short period of time. Yeah, that cut down on costs because we could just build our own furniture instead of having to purchase business furniture. Yeah. Yeah. And then renovating, we we really did everything ourselves. We wow. we renovated the spaces ourselves. He mostly taught himself how to like put down flooring and choose the colors and that kind of thing. I emailed Catherine after the interview. I wanted to know how he taught himself carpentry. It's no small thing building out a store. People pay tens of thousands of dollars to get it right. Did he apprentice under someone? Her email back was quintessential small business. And I quote, he just did it. No YouTube, no books, end quote. Our store is a project kind of store where people come and learn how to make different projects. We're already in that DIY headspace. And it'll make it different from everywhere else. And it's kind of quirky and a little like... Yeah, it's unique to you. Yeah. I'm intrigued. I only had one location and that was a lot of work. How do you manage three stores? To import the quantities we need to get good wholesale pricing from our suppliers. Having three stores will distribute all that inventory. And we just really like what we do. So when one is doing well-ish, then we'll be like, oh, I'll just (laughs) make another when you get kind of addicted to what you're doing, right? So it's been a long journey of learning what I should still be in control of and what things I can delegate. So a lot of it is hiring amazing team, learning to trust them, build that trust and delegate tasks to them that they can do. I used to try to do everything. I had to learn to delegate when my daughter was born, actually, because I couldn't. Yeah, I I identify with that a lot. Yeah, we'd find the lease for our second store. And then I found out I was pregnant two weeks later. So we were getting the second store ready while also becoming parents. So there's definitely been bumps along the road. But over time, if you just learn to trust and hire good staff, if something doesn't go so great, is it really the end of the world? Or can you move on and go on to the next thing? I was wondering if you find being a business owner is actually more compatible with having a child and a family than working for some. If you were a teacher, I can manage my time the way I want to. 
youth. I don't have a boss telling me what to do. When I think of my friends who have to log into their office, I don't even know how it works, but they have to be on their computer and their boss is checking how often they're on Skype or something. That just seems really stressful to me. As a business owner, you're always thinking on your feet and learning to adapt. There's a lot of mindset work and a lot of inner work you need to do to be able to manage the stress of owning a business. And I think that is very synchronistic with motherhood because there's a lot of inner work you need to do as a mom to learn to let go of stuff and just go with the flow. Do you have a favorite? A favorite store? I don't really have a favorite because they're all different. It's kind of like asking a mom who their favorite child is. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I like all of them. The most successful is probably the Koreatown location just because we're a Korean import store. It's been there the longest. Our rent is reasonable there. And when it wasn't locked down, it was a very busy street. There were just so many people there all the time. After the first lockdown, I had to lay off everybody and that broke my heart. Mm. And so when we reopened, luckily we can do curbside and I'm really trying to figure out a way to keep my staff and give them as many hours as I can as much as I can afford to and I mean customers are still doing curbside pickup and still even just kind of showing up well crafting is huge during the pandemic yes have you found people are gravitating yes I wish I had done more I do our social media so I wish I'd done more cute reels and videos and stuff but that's really time consuming but yeah it's been popular when we first opened 10 years ago that was right before Pinterest exploded we really didn't know DIY and crafting would be something that people would be into it was just stuff that we liked we've seen in the past 10 years DIY and crafting become huge yeah which is wonderful yeah it's so good for you I've been doing it more of course I have a six-year-old as well what are some sacrifices some things that you sacrifice for your business? Definitely the first few years when it was just my husband working and we didn't have staff yet. My social life definitely had to be sacrificed, right? Yeah. It's kind of like motherhood too. Like those first few years, you have to just (laughs) pour it all in there. So definitely social life. And then once you learn to have staff and take some time away from the stores, so definitely balancing life outside the store. Right. And now nobody has a social life. So everyone's- And now nobody, nobody, nobody has a social life. And we have my daughter and we've talked about more kids, but that could potentially be another sacrifice too. It's a lot to have lots of kids and run a business. Um, It's a lot. So that's probably another sacrifice. But I'm okay with because I'm happy with our life. Yeah. I've read that the most successful stores are the ones that sell a feeling. What feeling does Hanji convey when you're in there? I love this question. When my husband and I started the store, we kept talking about heart feeling. <laughs> just like our little heart feeling. It's just what we would talk about. I never thought I'd own a business. And then when I was starting to think about doing it, I really wanted to run it from a place of heart. And business owners get this bad rap of just being like greedy and wanting money and this kind of thing. But it was really like you can run a business and do it from a a place of heart and connecting with your community and treating people as human beings. Really, for me, it's just sharing what brings me joy. I want to share that with the world, which is probably why we opened three stores is because I just want to share it as much as possible. So heart feeling. <laughs> well, it's funny that you touched on that. Yeah. The perception that business owners are really wealthy, yeah. almost like landowners, but most yeah. of them. Yeah. These dirty capitalists. <laughs> yeah. There's not a term for it. There's like the white collar and the blue collar 
collar. Yeah. It's sort of like a, a bricks and mortar collar of these people who are really struggling and hardworking. So hardworking. Or maybe that's something that we don't know about because our generation shop owners really are almost artists. Yeah. Artists is also not the right word. I would say curators. We curate a space with things. I really feel like I'm curating a space, almost like an art gallery with all this stuff, but it's like affordable, cute stuff as opposed to a huge painting. Right. <laughs> right. And just sharing it that way. But yeah, I think that too, when we decided to open a business together, I really had to digest this concept and kind of spit it out and be like, no, business owners are not dirty capitalists. You can actually do a lot of great things. You can connect with community and and bring joy. And that's what I hope I've been doing. And I love connecting with customers. And when they come back to me and say thank you and that they had a great experience, it means a lot. It's what makes it all worthwhile. Maybe it's because no one trusts anyone with power these days. And the shop owner's power is that we get to create these crazy markups that Jane in the street doesn't get to take advantage of. But we don't get to take advantage of it either because it's what pays for the bricks and the mortar and all the rest of it. That's the thing with crazy markups. You know, we import. So there's huge costs that go into importing. We can't compete with the prices of big, huge box brands. They are able to offer super low prices on things. And a lot of small businesses can't offer those same prices. So that's a tricky thing. Yeah, you got to make sure that your customer service and that feeling that you get in the store makes up for the price difference of getting it from the company that shall not be named. (laughs) Yes. When we were emailing, you said something really lovely about the saying, the customer's always right. Can you share with me again? So what's interesting is that from living in Korea, they take customers always right to the next level. Like there's this feeling of gratitude towards a customer when they enter the store because they pay your bills. So sometimes, especially I find in North America, there can be this view of the customer that's quite negative and people can kind of complain about customers coming in and being annoying and this kind of stuff. But really, if you are grateful for that person, as soon as they enter the store, customer always right is a beautiful thing because that's the whole concept. You buy stuff, you sell it to the person who comes in and doing that from a place of love and gratitude is what I think is the customer is always right. Most, I would say 99.9 of our customers are all wonderful human beings. And those who might come in a little bit off normally have a lot going on in their life. There's a lot of sadness or trauma behind that. Right. I have this story that I share with my staff when I'm training them. There was a customer who came in upset about something to do with ceramics in our window display. And at first, my ego kind of got in the way and I felt confronted that she was so opinionated about my window display. But I took a moment to take a few breaths. And then I just said, you seem to know a lot about ceramics. And I saw her just let it go. And she became really pleasant. And we had this lovely conversation about ceramics. was a moment that could have been tense that turned into a lovely opportunity to connect with somebody who was clearly going through a lot at the time. So that's my view of customers always, right? It's for the customer, but it's also for you. If you are always thinking of people in a negative way, it's going to drag your day down too, right? It goes back to that heart feeling you're trying to convey. Yeah. 
Did you know the average person spends 690 hours a year house cleaning? Ooh, What's This Place has discovered the perfect cut down your cleaning time hack. This podcast. Cleaning gets done 30% faster when you listen to What's This Place. And that's not even an actual statistic. So tell your friends you cut your cleaning time in half by listening to this podcast. And if you're one of those people who actually likes cleaning, well, if you subscribe, follow, or like, you'll get 30% more muscles from your workout or running or whatever it is you're doing. Just by listening to What's This Place. You don't clean or work out? Well, we've got you covered too. With a 70% reduction in your commute time. Before you know it, you've arrived. Thanks, What's This Place. Now, back to the show. So this question I had before the pandemic, but now <laughs> yeah. I noticed some of them are like probably pre-pandemic questions. Um, the question was, what's the number one challenge you've faced? Yes. But, I mean, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm going to assume that it's the number one challenge you've ever faced. Yes, for sure. Definitely in March, I thought, are we going to lose everything? Is this over now? Is this the end? It was very scary. Oh my gosh, tears, so many tears. I thought like, you know, we just bought a house two years ago. Oh. Um, and I just thought, oh my gosh, we're going to lose our house. We're going to lose our stores. We're going to lose everything. What are we going to do? We had just invested a lot in our mother's. So we import, so we have to order two or three months before things come and and Mother's Day is our second busiest time of year. We'd just ordered everything for Mother's Day. Our bank account was at nothing. And all mm-hmm. of a sudden we had to close. And it was just like, what are we going to do? What did you do? Well, we have amazing landlords, thankfully. And also we just applied for everything that the government was throwing at us. We just yeah. applied for it all. And did that come through for you? Yeah. I mean, we're here still. <laughs> And our landlords were really great. So you would say that the government help was vital to your Oh my gosh, absolutely. The first year in bricks and mortar is precarious for many reasons, but one of the most precarious is surviving a natural disaster. In year one, you have to make it through despite everything, even if a flood or a fire takes it all, because you need sales to prove sales. Imagine you open your business March 2019 and your sales are just barely keeping you open, but gradually you grow so that by March 2020, you're starting to see a glimmer of profit. Unfortunately, the data you submit for COVID relief, it's got to include all those crappy beginning months, all those baby numbers. So if there's businesses in your neighborhood that opened up only months before the pandemic, they're pretty much winging it without relying on any safety nets. My heart goes out to all the businesses that had just opened or couldn't apply for wage subsidy, rent subsidy, all those grants and everything. Everybody who didn't qualify, just, I just, yeah, it breaks my heart. Yeah. Yeah. So we were closed for Mother's Day and then locked down for Christmas, our two most lucrative times of year. Yeah. So prior to pandemic, pandemic yeah. what, what would your number one challenge have been? Well, when we first opened 10 years ago, we used to sell these beautiful lamps. And then we had issues with them arriving damaged, a bunch of issues with selling the lamps that we decided, oh my gosh, we can't sell these lamps anymore. And at the time, those were pretty much the only thing bringing in sales, except for a few cards here and there. So that was a huge crisis. But like most times when there's a crisis, it often opens a door for a better opportunity. So when we cleared out that space, my husband told me about washi tape. This was right before washi tape became popular. We just ordered a huge amount of washi tape. If you've never heard of washi tape, it started in 2006 by a group of artists who transformed boring old masking tape with art. Crafters, artists, designers, they all use it because, well, it's very cool. And it's also extremely durable. There are washi tape design awards. It's a multi-million dollar industry. And it's one of those strokes of luck you can't write in a business plan to have placed an order right before before it blew up. 
And then all of a sudden washi tape was ever like washi tape was all over the place. I don't think we would be where we are if we'd kept selling mostly lamps in the store. Washi tape saved you. Washi tape saved my life. (laughs) (laughs) That's incredible. Yeah. That's a story I share with people when they're going through a hard time. I'm like, you don't know what kind of opportunity is behind this hard time. You don't know what this could mean. So just breathe, trust, and see what's behind the next door. Yeah. It's like put one step at a time and really stepping without knowing that there's going to be ground underneath your next step. It's all about acceptance and trust. I mean, life is short. You might as well just accept and trust. Otherwise, it holds you back. What are some of your ideas for moving forward? So our website did not have a lot of product on it before the first lockdown. And I knew with all the talk of the second wave that I have to bust my butt and get everything online. So that's been my biggest goal is to get as much of our items online. It's a lot of work. And I do the website myself and manage the online store myself. I like the ivory background. Thank you. It feels like paper a little bit. Thank you. And the products are so beautiful. There's just beautiful beautiful products. Thank you. What do you think the future of retail looks like? I think that this pandemic really shocked people into worrying about what has been happening for a long time to small business. And then bam, it was like right in everyone's face. Oh my gosh, what do we do if all these businesses close? Where am I going to browse around with my aunt when she visits me from like Ottawa or something? (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, where am I going to go show off my neighborhood? What's my town going to look like if there's no cute shops anymore or cute, interesting restaurants? And I think it, something that small business owners have been talking about for a while and then the pandemic hit and then there was a huge support for shop local massive yeah and websites promoting shops in the neighborhoods so i think that this actually rattled people to realize that they need to support local business i think people have kind of woken up to the reality is if we don't support small business then they're clearly it's not going to be around but i i think uh, there's always going to be a desire to go into a shop and i think that's always going to exist everyone wants to leave the house. (laughs) Everyone wants to like they might order online because they have to but they're going to be bored of it eventually and be really happy to go back to stores interact with human beings again. Don't you crave it? Yeah I get my energy from being around people even driving to the stores with my husband and to see my staff when I see them and I get to drive off I'm almost crying because it's just so nice to see them in person and yeah. And like I'll, I'll bump into regulars on the street and I want to hug them and then I have to back off. And yeah. yeah, I think this pandemic woke people up to the reality that we're fragile and we're important. Yeah. I personally can't shop for clothing online and I'm a good shopper, but I got to try it on. Yeah, no, I bought so much clothes that don't fit me. Like I buy them online and they just don't fit me quite right. And had I been able to just try them on. Yeah. But- it's so wasteful. Right. When yeah. clothing, you send it back, they have to burn it yes. because it costs too much for them to repackage it and clean it. Horrible. So it just goes to the incinerator. What's your biggest success, like a personal success? There is a moment I was pregnant with my daughter. We just opened our Queen Street store. So you'll appreciate this. Our lease for the Queen Street store was in November and then they had to change it to December. Mm. And so to have a lease start in December, if you don't hustle to get that store open, you're going to miss the Christmas season and then it's a quiet winter month. So I remember my husband and I, we were living in my parents' house at the time in the basement looking at each other like, should we do this? And then we decided to, I was morning sickness-ish. And if you've been to our Queen Street store, it's huge. And we built it in two weeks. (laughs) 
That's crazy. So my proudest moment was closing up on Christmas Eve, seeing the sales and the fact that it had been so successful. Mm. And we were starting our family and I was just at the end of my first trimester. So I could announce it that we were having a baby and the sales had been like the best Christmas ever. And I was just super proud. And I took a moment to remember that moment because it's not always like that. It was a really good moment that I always remember when things are not going so great to just remember that feeling of being super proud and that we accomplished it. I got, I teared up on that one. That was really nice. There is a Christmas Eve feeling when you're closing up a store. Yeah. And it's the end of the year, even though it's not quite the end of the year, you still have... Yeah, no. but Christmas is like crazy too, right? It's an emotional release when you close up on Christmas Eve because it's like, yeah. oh my gosh, it's crazy. Yeah, <laughs> and to have that feeling of success. This year, that's another proud moment. So the online sales were crazy this year and I was the one packing them up, dealing with my own like ongoing health issues and stuff. And I was like, I can't believe I got all those orders out because it was so many to pack up and gift wrap for people. And so that was another proud moment. I love it. Is there anything I'd miss that you'd like to talk about? Well, you asked about competition. Yeah, yeah. I've been asked this before about who my competitors are. Anybody who is selling something similar to me, I view them as the people behind the business and there's room for all of us to grow and succeed. So I never look at anybody who's running a small stationery store, paper store, gift store as competition. We can all exist, cheer each other on is kind of my view of competition. So I guess the only competition would really be big, huge stores that have an online Let's not name any names. Right? Yeah. So that's my view of competition. Because those people with those stores are pouring their love and heart into their business too. I want them to succeed also. And it was so beautiful during this. This pandemic's actually had some really beautiful moments of like businesses nearby who someone on the outside might think as our competition sharing each other's Instagram on their Instagram. Everyone really wanting to support one another. And it was so powerful. That's why similar stores. Yeah build up around each other. For sure. It keeps my mental health in check because the moment you start comparing yourself to others and start thinking of them like there has to be a winner or a loser, it can eat away your own self-worth. It's really good to focus on what you do really well and not worry too much about what everyone else is doing around you and just do your best cheer them on while they're doing their thing. And you know, it really sounds like in your life and your business, you really do embody this idea of heart. Yeah, it's really important to me. Thank you. So if someone wants to go to your store right now, they go to hangigifts.com. You're also in Koreatown. Yes, we're two blocks west of Bathurst. And they all they must all have the same feel with the wood furniture if your husband's everything it's a woodsy vibe kind of feels like you're in a forest like in Arendelle which is in Frozen yes I would be your store would be right on the main street in Arendelle oh one day (laughs) I really appreciate your time thank you so much this has been so lovely it's really great to get to know you better and your store thank you thanks so much to Catherine and Hunsuk Choi at Hanji Gifts for the most luxurious paper products this side of Korea or if you're looking to build up your paper Armory, Google Hanji Gifts. They ship anywhere in Canada. If there's a special shop in your neighborhood and you want to get to know them better, go to whatsthisplace.com and get in touch. Shop indie whenever you can and see you in two weeks.